find John 1 in your Bible. There's some notes in the bulletin if you'd like to look at the outline. Our passage we read earlier is one of my favorite passages in the Gospel of John. In these verses, Jesus is calling men to be disciples. He's not calling 12 specifically to serve as apostles, but he is calling men to follow him, to be students, to be learners. We know from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus began his ministry. This is Luke 3, verse 23. He began his ministry when he was about 30 years old. So we have a ballpark idea for how old Jesus was. He's about 30. If you want to fit this in with some things that John doesn't mention, our passage comes after Jesus was baptized, comes after he was tempted in the wilderness, But it comes before he starts openly preaching about the kingdom of God. And so in some of the other gospels, we read about Jesus being baptized. We read about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Uh, We read at the very beginning of the gospel of Mark, he just starts preaching. In the beginning, John was preaching, and then Jesus started preaching. And in the gospel of John here, we read uh, sort of a different account of things. It all fits together after the baptism, after the temptation, before he starts preaching, and he's calling men to follow him. I want to just give you a little bit of background on some of these people, some of these names that show up in this passage. One of the things John does in this gospel is he names names a lot. Some of the disciples, some of the apostles are singled out by name in this gospel, and they're not ever singled out in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. We learn more about the individual guys following Jesus in this gospel more than we do in any of the others. And I think the reason I love this passage is Jesus is just talking to these men, asking them to follow him. I love the simplicity of it. Life sometimes gets complex. You have things in your life that are Uh, crisis situations, you have things in your life that are difficult to deal with, you have things in your life that can be stressful. Uh, I experience all of those things, you experience those things. Work can be crazy, kids can be crazy, school can be crazy. And in this passage, it's just very simple, right? All that craziness just kind of fades to the background. And Jesus, as he talks to these men, just really gets to the heart of what does it mean to be a follower of of Jesus, And I think it's a great encouragement to all of us. So let's talk about some of these characters. Andrew and an unnamed disciple followed Jesus because they listened to John the Baptist. Some think, and I agree with these some, some think the unnamed disciple was John the Apostle, the author of this gospel. So you'll remember, when you're reading the fourth gospel, if you come across the name John, it's John the Baptist. It's always talking about John the Baptist. You'll also notice that as you go through the fourth gospel, there's multiple places where there's a character. He tells you there's a character, there's a person involved, and he's not ever named. And most scholars think this is John the Apostle, the the one who wrote this gospel. It's his way of writing himself into the story without making himself the center of the story. Sometimes it's more obvious than others. Sometimes you read it and it's totally obvious and you say, why didn't you just put your name in there? I don't know why he didn't just put his name in there. He didn't do it. And I think this is one of those instances where he writes himself into the story, but he doesn't want to be the center of attention. He doesn't want there to be any confusion about him and John the Baptist. So he just says, Andrew and an unnamed disciple. They're following John the Baptist. They hear him say, this is the Lamb of God. 
And they leave John and they start to follow Jesus. Andrew immediately found his brother Simon Peter and introduced him to Jesus. This is fascinating to me. This is one of the pieces of this chapter that someday if I get to meet Andrew in heaven, I just want to talk to him about because I think it's fascinating. How many of you grew up with a sibling, maybe older, they went ahead of you in school, and every time you started a new year, you walked into the third grade, you were excited about the third grade, you sat down, the teacher got ready to call roll the first day of class, and they came to your name, and the teacher said, oh, you're so-and-so's brother. Oh, you're so-and-so's sister. You always sort of live in that shadow. How many of you had an older sibling like that that ruined it for you all the way through? Lots of therapy going on right now, right? Just got to learn to deal with this. I don't know the age breakdown between Andrew and Peter, but Peter was the guy that overshadowed Andrew, right? They grew up together. I think Andrew knew what Peter would do to situations. He would dominate. He would rise to the, the forefront. He would be the one that got all the attention, and Andrew would just sort of slink back in the background. And this is what's fascinating to me. Andrew knew what it was like to be Peter's brother, right? He knew Peter. He's a loud mouth. He wants to be the center of attention. He does some really foolish things at times. And he brought him to Jesus anyway. Andrew could have said, you know, just for once in my life, I like to have one thing that Peter's not involved in. I don't want Peter here to ruin this for me. And poor Andrew, when you meet him, you haven't even met Peter yet. And how does he get introduced? Andrew. Oh, you know, Peter's brother. Andrew could have just said, I'm tired of being called Peter's brother. I just want to be Andrew, period. I don't want to be called anything else. I don't want to be associated with Peter. I don't want to get the bad rap for Peter. I don't want Peter to take all the attention. But instead, Andrew's just very comfortable with who he is. He's not Peter, and he doesn't want to be Peter. And he does in this passage what he does naturally. He brings people to meet Jesus. Do you know that in the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, it's the only time that Andrew gets singled out for doing anything? Three times. And every time he gets singled out, he's bringing someone to Jesus. He's not preaching sermons. He's not leading worship. He's just bringing people to Jesus. John chapter 1. Andrew gets Peter and he brings him to Jesus. John chapter 6. There's a boy with a lunch. There's a crowd of people that need to eat. Who's the one that brings the boy to Jesus? Andrew. Later in the gospel, there's some Greek men. These Greek men come and find Philip. Apparently Philip doesn't know what to do, so he gets Andrew, and Andrew's the one that takes the Greek men to Jesus. He's just doing what comes naturally, and he does it with his brother, Peter. A few more names here, Philip and Nathaniel. Jesus found Philip, and Philip turned around and found Nathaniel. And introduced him to Jesus. Some people think, and I agree with these some people. Some people think Nathaniel's surname was Bartholomew. So it's interesting. When you read the list of the apostles, Philip is one of the apostles. He's one of the twelve. He's called here to be a disciple. Later Jesus calls him to be an apostle. He's always listed fifth. Always shows up fifth. The first four are always the same, Andrew, Peter, James, and John. And it's almost like they were kind of the, the inner circle or the A-team. But then there's Philip, always in the fifth spot. Maybe he was the, the leader of the next four. 
Some people speculate about that, but he always shows up fifth in the list. Nathaniel only shows up twice. You'll read his name at the beginning of John, and we're going to read his name again at the very end of John. And other than that, we don't know anything about Nathaniel, but most scholars say Nathaniel is Bartholomew. So when you read the list of the 12 apostles, there's a guy named Bartholomew. Bartholomew was a last name, is the Jewish way of saying the son of Ptolemaeus. And so some scholars say that's Nathaniel. His name was Nathaniel Bartholomew, Nathaniel the son of Ptolemaeus. You can put those pieces together if you want. We're going to talk more about these guys this morning. The big idea of the passage for all these characters, right? Jesus right at the middle of it. You go John the Baptist and Andrew, Peter, possibly John the Apostle, Philip, Nathaniel. The big idea is really, really simple. Followers of Jesus tell other people about Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you tell other people about Jesus. How many of you know the Geico commercial? or the series of commercials that plays off this idea. If you want to save money on your car insurance, you call Geico, 15% or more. It's just what you do, right? And so they give you these examples that are sort of silly. They give you Tarzan and Jane, right? You remember this one? Tarzan and Jane are in the jungle, and they're fighting about directions, where to go. And Tarzan's trying to say, I'm the king of the jungle. And Jane's hollering at somebody asking for directions. And then the commercial ends and it says... If you're a couple, you fight over directions. It's what you do. All couples fight over directions. And if you want to save money on your car insurance, you call Geico. It's just what you do. There's another one with the band 80s power band Europe. You remember this one? They're in the break room. There's an old guy heating up his hot dog or something in the microwave. And he gets down to the last 10 seconds. And then the band breaks out in their one-hit final countdown. Right? And the commercial comes on and says, if you're the band Europe, you love a final countdown. It's just what you do. And if you want to save money on your car insurance, you call Geico. And it goes on and on. I have some suggestions for Geico if they wanted to run some targeted ads in the state of Kansas. Okay? How do we connect the dots here with the state of Kansas? Number one, you could say, if you're the Kansas Jayhawks football team, you lose. That's what you do. You just lose. You run the team out there and you lose every single game. Easy. And if you want to save money on your car insurance, call Geico. You run that ad in Kansas, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Okay. How about basketball? I went to the game in Lubbock last night. It was the fourth worst loss in the history of Kansas basketball. It was the most depressing game I've ever been to. I had to sit on the second to the top row. It was over before it started. Texas Tech hit 16 three-point shots. I think they hit 15 of them in the first three minutes of the game or something like that. And it was like, if you're at a Tech game and they're shooting threes, they're going in. That's just what's happening tonight, right? It was just automatic. And then I could add to that, I could say, if you're a Kansas fan and you have Tech friends and Tech is beating you in basketball, they're going to text you. And they're going to make, are you watching the game? Did you see that? That's just what they do. Right, The whole ad series runs off this idea. This is obviously what these people do. And if you obviously wanted to save money on car insurance, you should call us. Right, John chapter 1. Let me set this before you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you tell other people about Jesus. 
It's what you do. What a tragedy that we would hear that ad run as Christians and we would say, well, I don't get it. Like, if you're Billy Graham, you tell people about Jesus. That seems obvious. Or if you're a pastor, pastors tell people about Jesus, right? If you're a pastor, you tell people about Jesus, what you do. We had a missionary couple from the IMB, right? They work with deaf peoples in Southeast Asia. They were here a couple of Wednesday nights ago, shared with our kids and our adults and youth, did an amazing job. And you would have no problem if I said, if you're a missionary, you tell people about Jesus. It's just what you do. You'd say, ah, of course, Billy Graham, pastors, missionaries. I get that. But in the simplicity of this story in John 1, God is laying before us a very, very simple idea. It may be so simple that we don't think about it very often, or we may be so conditioned by our culture that we don't think it's, it's true. But this is what John is saying. If you are a follower of Jesus... If you're a Christian, you tell other people about Jesus. Those two things should go together like peanut butter and jelly. Like they, You should not be able to think of one without thinking of the other. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, what needs to happen in your life and my life before we go out and tell anybody about Jesus? What needs to happen? My guess is you already have a list forming in your head. Maybe you're trying to guess the blanks on the outline already, but maybe you have like an alternate outline in your head, and you're saying, yeah, you know, I don't know about these answers. I can guess where he's going here. This is not complicated, but, you know, some of you are thinking, you got to go to seminary first. If you're going to tell people about Jesus, you got to go to seminary. you got to study. you got to learn. you got to be educated. Some of you are thinking, if I'm going to tell other people about Jesus, I probably need to read the whole Bible first. I haven't done that. I got stuck in Leviticus, and I gave up. A couple years ago, I really, I really stuck with it, and I made it to Chronicles, and I, the wheels came off the bus. I couldn't get through Chronicles. I probably ought to just read through the whole thing. It's not that long. Some people do it every year in a year. I, I probably should read through the whole thing before I start talking to anybody. Some of you, I guarantee you, some of you are thinking this. Before I tell anybody about Jesus, I need to know how to answer their questions. Because they might say something that I don't know how to answer, and I would look really dumb. And part of it's ego, you don't want to look dumb. And part of it's genuine, you don't want to say something wrong. Right? That's an okay thought. You don't want to say anything wrong and lead people astray. So some of you are thinking, what I need to do is I need to know all the answers to all the questions that somebody might ask me. And once I know all the answers to all the questions, then I can start telling people about Jesus. Some of you are probably thinking, you know, I need to deal with some stuff in my life. Maybe you're sort of in that position where talking about Jesus to other people might make you feel like a hypocrite a little bit, and you're saying, you know, I really need to, I need to clean this stuff up. I really need to get this in order in my life. I really need to get control of this. And then I'm going to start telling people about Jesus. None of those things come up in John 1. There are some things that need to happen before you and I go out and start telling other people about Jesus. But it's none of the things that I just listed. In a very, very simple message this morning, I just want to walk through this passage and I want you to see a few things that need to happen in your life before you go out 
and you tell somebody about Jesus. So here's number one. What needs to happen before you tell someone the good news? Number one, Jesus needs to find you. Step one, Jesus needs to find you. Notice how the, the whole thing gets rolling in verse 35. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. As I read that, I don't think that John the Baptist leaned over and whispered to Andrew and the unnamed disciple and said, Psst, that's the Lamb of God, that's him. That wasn't John's M.O., right? John probably said it where everyone could hear it. That is the Lamb of God. And they took off. Don't give Andrew and this unnamed disciple too much credit like they were just sort of more spiritually with it than everyone else standing around. Understand that God had sent John the Baptist for this very purpose to get people ready. Do you remember John chapter 1 verse 6? There was a man sent from God and his name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Andrew and the unnamed disciple would have no idea who Jesus was or if they should follow him if God hadn't first sent somebody into their lives to be a witness and to say, that's the guy, follow him. God's taking the initiative in sending John. And later in the passage, Jesus takes the initiative with Philip. Look what we read in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He, Jesus, found Philip. Jesus found Philip. Philip, follow me. And did you notice how Philip describes the whole thing? Just down a little ways, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him. Philip didn't find anybody. In his experience of things, he may have thought, I'm the one who put the pieces together here, and I've, I've figured this out. I've cracked the case. I'm the spiritual Sherlock Holmes of, of Galilee, and I know who Jesus is. But the text sort of shows you the, the backstory, and the backstory is Jesus went to Galilee, and he found Philip. Before you go out, before I go out, and we say anything to anyone about Jesus, the first thing that has to happen is that Jesus has to find us. The great church father Augustine said it like this. We could not have even begun to seek for God unless he already found us. We're not looking for him. He came looking for us. And the New Testament describes this in so many different ways. I just put a few verses up on the screen. Luke 19.10. We're never going to be done with Luke 19.10. Those of you who made it through Luke, we're always coming back. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to gather up those who were trying to find their own way. He came to seek and save those of us who had no idea we were lost in the first place. He took the initiative. 1 John 4.10. God shows his love, excuse me, this is Romans 5.8, I put the wrong reference up. Romans 5.8 in the middle. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the bottom one is 1 John 4.10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Before anyone, Philip, Andrew, John, John the Baptist, any of these guys or any of us go out and say anything to anyone about Jesus, step one, God finds us. Jesus finds us. Step two, this is where you come in. You need to follow Jesus. 
you need to follow Jesus. You have a very real, very important decision to make. Jesus calls you to follow him. If you have a red-letter Bible, it's very easy to see the first thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of John. Okay, Just look for the first red letters. John chapter 1, verse 36. These two disciples, Andrew and I'm suggesting to you John, are following Jesus. Jesus turns, verse 38. He sees them following him. The first thing Jesus says in the gospel, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? I want to submit to you that you should ask yourself that question every time you walk into this building on a Sunday morning. What are you seeking? Why are you here? The first thing Jesus says is not, let's go, but it's a question. What are you after? What are you looking for? I don't know why you're here. You're here on a Sunday morning. You woke up. You got dressed. Maybe you knew uh, your friends were going to be here and they would expect you to show up. Maybe you're looking for a pick-me-up after a rough week. Last week was just challenging, and you say, man, I just, need, I just need a little something to keep me going. Maybe you've got some kind of burden, maybe a, a guilty conscience or something that you've done or you've said, and you feel like you need to, to come to a place like this and to relieve that burden, to get rid of that burden. Maybe you're looking for something miraculous, something supernatural, some sort of feeling that you can't explain and You're waiting for the band to play just the right notes at the right time or for me to say just the right thing at the right time and to have some sort of feeling or emotion. Maybe you're here to be affirmed. Maybe you're looking for someone to just sort of pat you on the back and give you a spiritual attaboy and tell you you're the greatest and send you on your way and you feel a little bit better about yourself this week. Maybe you're here because your mom said, get out of bed, we're going to church. I, I don't know why you're here. Or maybe you're here because your kid said, mom, get up, I want to go to church. Equally possible. But you're here, and you ought to ask yourself this question, what, what am I seeking? What am I looking for? Jesus has these guys coming after him, and he turns and he looks at them, and he says, what are you seeking They don't even have an answer. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like the disciples. They can't even articulate what it is they're seeking. They just mumble something about, uh, Rabbi, uh, where are you staying? They don't know what to say. Maybe you don't know what to say. That's okay. But it's worth asking yourself this question. What is it that you're seeking? doesn't mean that Whatever it is you're looking for, you're obviously or, or always going to find it. But you need to think about your motives. Why am I here? What am I doing here? Why do I come sit in the same seat every week over and over and over and over and over again? I mean, what, what am I seeking out of this relationship? These guys don't know how to articulate it. And Jesus looks at them, verse 39, and he says, come and you will see. I don't think you have to be a literary scholar to know that when Jesus said that, he didn't just mean, come and you'll see where I'm staying. What he's saying is, 
Just come. Follow me. You don't have to have all the pieces put together. You don't have to have all your life in order. You don't have to be able to answer all the questions. You don't have to know everything. But you do need to make a decision. Are you going to come and are you going to follow me? Are you going to follow? Jesus does not tell them to pray a prayer. Jesus does not tell them you need to do some sort of ritual. He just says you need to follow. Number three, you need to spend time with Jesus. What needs to happen before you tell other people about Jesus? You need to spend time with him. I want you to see the pattern in this passage. Look at verse 39. Verse 39, Jesus says, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. Then we come to verse 41 where Andrew finds his brother Simon and he says, we found the Messiah. First he spends time with Jesus. Then he goes and he brings somebody else to meet Jesus. The pattern is exactly the same. It might be condensed, but it's the same in verse 43 and 45. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip. And he told Philip, follow me. And they had an interaction. They had a discussion. And then, verse 45, Philip finds Nathanael and says, we found him. The one Moses wrote about in the Law and the Prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Before you go out and tell anyone about Jesus, you've got to spend time with Jesus. This This is not complicated. I want you to see this in one other verse. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus is calling not just disciples, but apostles. And this is what it says. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. Why? Number one, that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. Some of us get so excited about the going out to do something. I want to teach a Sunday school class. Well, I want to go witness to my coworker. Well, I want to go on a mission trip to Kenya or Arlington or Canada. Well, I want to do something great for Jesus. I want, to be, I want to do something that's impactful for him. And the first thing you need to do before you have any of those thoughts, any of those dreams, any of those plans, is you just need to stop and you need to spend time with Jesus. And some of us in this room find it very difficult to say anything to anyone about Jesus. Do you know why? It's because you haven't spent time with him. What do you have to say? I mean, are you running off third grade VBS 40 years later and you're trying to draw on that to talk to somebody about Jesus? Are you trying to draw on a youth camp from 20 years back for something that you might share with another person about Jesus? You need to spend time with him before you really think you have anything to say to anyone else about him. You say, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. Doesn't sound very challenging. Doesn't sound like, you know, that's going to shatter the world or, or just bring in droves of people to be saved. This is the pattern. This is the way it works. Jesus finds you. You make the decision to follow Jesus. And first you spend time together. Reading the Bible. Even Leviticus. Even Chronicles. You read it. If you don't understand it, it's okay. You just keep reading you talk to him. You pray. Like you, you engage in real relationship. It's not just an academic exercise, but it's, there's a personal relationship there. You spend time with Jesus. You've got to do that before you go out and say anything to anyone 
about Jesus. As you do that, one of the things you're going to learn about Jesus is that he has authority. He has authority. And this is the next step, right? Jesus finds you. You follow Jesus. You spend time with him. Number four, you recognize his authority. Most of you did go to VBS when you were in third grade or you've been to Sunday school. You've read the Bible maybe. You know how it ends. And so when you read verse 42, you don't give it a whole lot of thought. But look at verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. That's Andrew brought Peter, Simon, to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, So, you're Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You should try this the next time you meet somebody for the first time. Hey, I'm Landon. Hi, I'm Bob. Hi, Bob. From now on, I'm going to call you Tim. Is that all right with you? Teachers, you should try this if you teach, right? First day of school, third grade, we already talked about that earlier. You get the roll out, you start going through, and you should just say, all right, Timmy Smith. Where's Timmy? Timmy raises his hand. You look at Timothy, and you're like, nah, no, no, no. You're not a Timmy. You're more like a Damien, something like that. <laughs> I'm going to change your name. See how those parent-teacher conferences go, right? This is kind of shocking. We know that Jesus changes people's names. We've read the Bible. We know Abraham had his name changed. We, we just sort of get used to these things. We read them. We just want you to think about this. Andrew brings his brother. Hey, I want you to meet somebody. It's the Messiah. Peter doesn't know anybody from anybody. He doesn't know what's going on. And he walks up and he meets Jesus. And Jesus says, huh, Simon, huh? Let's go with Cephas. And he has the authority to do that. I had a friend in Kentucky named Bob. Bob was not a believer growing up. And he was in the military. And in the military, somebody gave him a a Gideon New Testament. He had never gone to church. And he started reading it. And uh, he later became a believer. He later became a pastor for a while. He's a a leader in the church that we were at in Kentucky still. And uh, Bob, this is his testimony. He said, I read through the the Bible, the New Testament, mostly thinking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he said, I read it through, read the Gospels, and I put it down and I put it away, and I decided that man is the most arrogant man who has ever walked the face of the earth. Changing people's names? You don't get to do that. Telling people to do things and expecting them to do it? Who do you, you don't get to treat people that way. Barking out orders and saying things that are at times very offensive. Saying that you got to love me more than your parents. Nobody gets to say that. And he just put it away. And he thought about it. And as he thought about it, the word began to work in his heart and his mind. And later he came back to it, the same New Testament. And he read through it. And he got to the end of it. And he said, by the time I got to the end of it the second time, I understood that Jesus is who he said he was. And he does have the authority that he claims to have. If he wants to change somebody's name, he can change their name. That is fully and totally within his authority. What about Philip? Verse 43. If Jesus wants to find someone, he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Jesus has the authority to say that. You look at verse 43 and you say, was there more to the conversation than that? 
or was it he just found him? He just walked up to him and looked him in the eyeballs and said, let's go. I don't know. Maybe there was more. Maybe there wasn't. But Jesus has the authority to, to say that, to, to command that. When he, when he found Philip and he said, follow me, he's not asking Philip a question. He's not extending an invitation to Philip. You can look up the word in the Greek. It's in the imperative tense. Philip, do this. Follow me. He has authority to say that. What about Nathaniel? Philip goes and he finds Nathaniel and he says, hey, we found him. And Nathaniel's reaction is, is classic. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Which is funny because he was from Cana. And archaeologists have dug up both of these places. They're both out in the middle of nowhere. They're both just backwater, redneck, hillbilly towns. And here's Nathaniel from Cana saying, oh, really, Nazareth? I mean, this is like people in Midland talking about Odessa. Oh, Odessa. Uh. Well, talk to someone in New York. They think of all of us the same. They're not impressed with Midland. We do this, and people in Andrews say, well, that's Seminole for you. Yeah. And people in Odessa say, well, what do you expect from somebody from Crane? I mean, have you been to Crane? And then you go to Crane, and they point it down the road, and they say, have you been to McCamey? I mean, we do this. And he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus really doesn't, he doesn't fall for the bait. He doesn't get in on any of that. He just looks at this guy and he says, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And I bet I read 30 explanations of what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. John does not tell us. There's no footnote coming later that's going to reference this and explain it. Maybe that can be one of the things you ask Nathaniel. What was happening under the tree? Were you praying? Were you reading scripture? Were you thinking about the Messiah? Were you asking God to give you a sign? Were you confessing sin? Uh, all sorts of explanations we don't know. But Nathaniel knew what he was doing under the fig tree. And Nathaniel knew that Jesus knew what he was doing under the fig tree. And that was enough. We don't need to know. If we need to know, to know, John would have told us. And the bottom line is that each one of these guys in this passage, in their own way, in a different way, learned to recognize the authority of Jesus. And for some of you, for some of us, the reason we don't go out, to bring it back to the big idea, the reason we don't go out and say anything to anyone about Jesus is we have never got past step four recognizing his authority. We have a million excuses. And they all boil down to, you don't think Jesus is the boss. That's the bottom line. If you're not doing it, or you won't do it, or you refuse to do it, or you never do it, the real heart-level issue for you, for me, for a missionary, for a pastor, for anybody, is you don't think Jesus is in charge. You haven't recognized his authority. Look at the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28. Put it up on the screen. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's very simple. Do you believe that Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth or not? If you don't, 
you can just disregard the rest of the verse. You can memorize it. You can have Bible studies about it. You can journal about it. You can paint it on a canvas, and it can be very pretty. But you don't have to do it if you don't think he has the authority. If he has the authority, you don't have any choice in the matter. He found you. You made the decision to follow him. You spent time together. And now, based on all of the authority in heaven and on earth, he says to you, go make disciples. Go tell other people about me. What am I supposed to tell them? Tell them enough to be baptized. And then tell them enough so that they know how to obey every command I've given you. And when you do that, I'm with you to the end of the age. I have all of the authority in heaven and on earth. One last thought. You need to know the truth about Jesus. Jesus finds you. You make the decision to follow Jesus. You spend time with him. You recognize his authority and then you know the truth about him. Look in your Bible as we just walk through this passage. Everyone in the, in the whole passage goes back to Scripture. To the Old Testament. Every person in this passage who says anything about Jesus brings it all the way back to the scriptures, to the Old Testament. John the Baptist starts it off and he says, that is the Lamb of God. And we talked about that last week. What does it mean? Right? It's the Passover Lamb. It's the Lamb that that was slaughtered on the, the Day of Atonement. It's the Lamb talked about in Isaiah 53. It's the sacrifice. It's the substitute. That's him. He's going back to the Old Testament. Look at Andrew. Andrew says he's the Messiah. We found the Messiah, the Christ, the promised Savior, the one that God has been promising to send ever since Adam and Eve sinned in Eden, the one over and over, all these promises. He's the one. We found him. Philip, he says, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and also the prophets wrote about, the one the law and the prophets were talking about and promising. We found that guy. We know who he is. Nathaniel, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. God said to David, you're going to have a a son that will sit on your throne forever. And Nathaniel says, that's you. That's you. Jesus gets in on it. It's not just the people talking about Jesus. It's Jesus talking about himself. And at the end, he says, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It takes you all the way back to Genesis 28. Where a guy named Jacob has a dream and he sees these these angels ascending and descending between heaven and earth. There's a bridge connecting God in heaven and man on earth. And Jesus says, that's me. You're going to see it. I'm the connecting point. He says, I'm the son of man. That's straight out of Daniel 7. The one who rules the whole cosmos with the ancient of days. Over and over and over. Everyone goes back to the Old Testament and says, this is who he is. This is who he is. And what I'm saying to you is that if you're going to go out and say anything to anyone about Jesus, you need to know what the Bible says about him. you got to read it. you got to think about it. you got to connect the dots. you got to study it so that you understand how all these things fit together. And some of you, as I describe step five, some of you say, finally a loophole. Finally, because the noose was getting really tight. And finally, you gave me a little wiggle room. Jesus found me. Okay, I got to check that one off. Make the decision to follow Jesus. Well, I'm a Christian, so there you go. Spend time with him. I'm working on that. The devotion thing, Bible reading, prayer, yes, okay. Number four, recognize his authority. I don't want to deny his authority. And here at the end, you say, ah, finally. I just don't know enough. 
I'm going to have to learn some more before I go out and say anything to anyone. No, you don't. No, you don't. What did Jesus say when these guys are following him and he turns around and they say, hey, hey, where are you staying? Jesus doesn't preach a sermon. He just says, come on, follow me. Let's go. Did you notice that Jesus' words in John 139 where he says, come and you will see. Did you notice they get quoted later? John 1 verse 46. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Look, that's one of those questions where you say, I don't know what to say to that. He didn't really have a great answer. He didn't want to argue with his buddy. He didn't want to get sidetracked. Maybe he agreed that nothing good could come out of Nazareth. I don't know. But all he said is what Jesus said earlier. Why don't you come and see? Why don't you come and find out? Some of you in the room this morning need to make the decision to follow. That's where you're at. You need to just back it up and say, you know what? I have never made that decision. I've toyed with it. I've danced around it. I've thought about it. And I've never made the decision to follow. You don't have to have it all figured out. You can just come and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and see who Jesus is. Make that decision. And some of you need to just make that decision today. Some of you, as we're walking through this, you walk away saying, you know what? I don't spend any time with Jesus. I mean, I come to church on Sunday morning, but I don't spend any time with him. What do I have to say to anyone? Start tomorrow. Wake up tomorrow and spend time with him. And then find somebody in your day and tell them about it. It's easy. It's simple. Just do it. Some of you need to wrestle with whether or not you really believe Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Some of you are just delighted that Jesus came to seek you and save you and die for you. And he loves you and he cares about you. He's going to take you to heaven someday. But you really haven't spent time wrestling with this issue of authority. Who has the authority? You need to settle that. Some of you need to to think about, do I even know anything about Jesus to say to anyone else? Look, if if you don't know anything else, find somebody and say, we talked in church about John 1. People following Jesus. They didn't have it all figured out, but they were in. And they learned as they went. Tell somebody that. And then learn something else and tell someone that. And then learn something else and tell someone that. The big idea of this passage is so simple. It's so, so simple. It's not complicated. We're not in the, the back and forth dialogue of John. We're not Jesus dealing with people who want to murder him. We're not to the Passover and the crucifixion. We're not talking about miracles or any of these crazy things. It's just Jesus looking at people saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to be a disciple. I want you to make the decision to be in. I want you to submit to my authority. I just want you to be around me. I want you to be with me. And then I want you to learn about me and I want you to tell people that you know.